This is not your century. This is Not Your Century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. January 6, 1994. It's about 2.40 in the afternoon, and figure skater Nancy Kerrigan is stepping off the practice rink at Cobo Hall. That's next door to Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit. The U.S. figure skating championships are being held at Joe Lewis. The winners will represent the United States at the Olympics the next month in Lillehammer, Norway. Kerrigan's the defending champ, the favorite to win again. She's 24, an Olympic veteran. She won the bronze medal in 92 in Albertville, France. Nancy is one of the best at combining grace and athleticism. First place marks across the board for the eighth skater, Nancy Kerrigan of the United States. Ordinarily, she would have been 26 at the next Olympics. That's pretty old for a ladies' figure skater. No woman older than 22 had won the singles gold medal since the 30s. But Kerrigan caught a break. The International Olympic Committee split up the Summer and Winter Olympics. They used to happen the same year, but to give each Olympics its own time to shine, the committee decided to alternate them. That meant a Winter Games in 94, after only a two-year break. And it meant that the best American skater would get another chance at a gold medal. Kerrigan stepped through a blue curtain into a hallway that led to the dressing room. Most of the media was next door at Joe Lewis Arena, covering the pair's skate trial that afternoon and then later the men's free skate. But a reporter named Dana Scarton from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette was working on a feature story, so she stopped Kerrigan in that hallway and asked her for a short interview. She never got an answer out. A man stepped through that curtain. He was big. Scarton wrote in the next day's paper that he was about 6'2", 200 pounds. He was wearing a dark leather coat and a hat, and for a split second... Scarton wondered if Kerrigan knew him. Then he crouched down and he swung something that looked like a crowbar with one arm. Scarton wrote that the bar seemed to flex as the man swung it. He hit Kerrigan twice. Scarton couldn't see where it was, but it was on the outside of her right knee. The man ran away as Kerrigan collapsed to the ground, screaming. That video of Kerrigan on the ground crying why was the first thing from this incident that went, by 1994 standards, viral. Everything after it did, too. You probably know the story. In somewhat fictionalized form, it was the subject of the Academy Award-winning mockumentary I, Tanya in 2017. The attack and its aftermath made Tanya Harding a household name. She was Kerrigan's main rival and, it turns out, part of a boneheaded conspiracy behind the attack. Harding was the perfect foil for the regal, graceful Nancy Kerrigan. She was a bulldog. She was known for her athleticism and leaping ability more than her artistry. Off the ice, she was no ordinary figure skater. She had a hard scrabble working class background and she smoked. She tuned up her own car. She designed her own costumes, which the skating officials found to be tacky. And that was an opinion that she didn't really care about. It would turn out that Nancy Kerrigan was a working-class kid, too. Her dad was a welder who worked three jobs and volunteered at the ice rink to pay for her skating lessons, but who knew what figure skaters were like off the ice? The story consumed American sports and tabloid television for months, and its long tail for years. That movie came out 23 years after the event. With Kerrigan injured, Tanya Harding won the trials. Within a week, her ex-husband, Jeff Galuli, and her bodyguard, Sean Eckerd, were implicated in the conspiracy. 
and they would eventually plead guilty or be convicted, as was the attacker, Shane Stant. Harding would eventually plead guilty to hindering the investigation. She was stripped of her national title and banned from competitive skating. But that was all after the Olympics. And the Olympics produced another indelible moment. Kerrigan was named to the Olympic team along with Harding. 13-year-old Michelle Kwan traveled to France as an alternate in case Kerrigan couldn't go. She did compete, though, and she won the silver medal, just edged out by Oksana Bayul of Ukraine. Harding's skate lace broke during her free skate, and that resulted in the famous image of her crying as she put her foot way up on the judges' table to show them. Whenever a skater has a problem, whether it's a costume or a hook or a lace, they have to go right to the referee, report the problem, and then the referee makes a ruling. Things like this just don't happen. They let her fix it and keep skating, but she finished eighth. Tanya Harding would spend the next few decades as a B-lister, showing up in celebrity boxing matches, stuff like that. Nancy Kerrigan was poised for the kind of celebrity that Christy Yamaguchi was enjoying after winning the gold medal in 1992. That kind of fame was waiting for Michelle Kwan a few years later. But it didn't happen. She got hit by a backlash after a couple of clumsy public statements, one about the gold medalist, Oksana Bayul, and the other about, well, Mickey Mouse. They were both taken out of context, but Kerrigan, who was not the finishing school product she looked like on the ice, she just wasn't able to turn it around. She's skated and choreographed professionally. She's appeared occasionally on shows like Dancing with the Stars, and she's a national spokesman for a foundation that fights blindness. The attack on her was the kind of thing from which no winners emerge, except there was a winner. Women's figure skating. The women's free skate finals at Lillehammer got Super Bowl-level TV ratings, and the sport's popularity surged for the rest of the 90s. This has been Not Your Century, a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief. Get great journalism today at sfchronicle.com. I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to your century.